Hi, it's Chuck from Above the Basement, Boston Music and Conversation. Our very first concert cast with Brent Shuttleworth was an experiment. Have our guest play a few, sit with us for 20 minutes or so, and have a Q&A in front of a live audience followed by a full performance. It was an amazing evening and Brent brought the house down. So we decided to up our game. Back in June, we met at the beautiful city winery in Boston in front of a sold-out Haymarket Lounge for our second concert cast with prolific singer-songwriter and frontman for Boston's own The Push Stars, Chris Trapper. And if we do say so ourselves, it was a huge success. I will let Ronnie do the formal introduction to Chris he gave that evening, but suffice it to say that we were really able to get an idea of what makes Chris tick. His love of the road, the importance of family, and how gratitude has become a big part of who he is. Before we begin, we would like to thank all the kind folks at City Winery in Boston for partnering with us for this event. The place is fantastic, and if you haven't been, you should check them out at citywinery.com forward slash Boston. The entire live performance from this night will also be available on our next In Concert Series episode by subscribing to our podcast, which you can do at abovethebasement.com. So here is our conversation with Chris Trapper, recorded at City Winery in Boston, Massachusetts. Chris Trapper is a songwriter's songwriter. He's the guy that you want to go to if you're a musician and you want a song. Chris has toured for 22 plus years. He's the frontman for the prolific band, the Push Stars, in 1996, they got their start right here in Boston. They're still playing together. Chris has a solo career on his own. Chris is a guy that not only can play in front of an audience, sing his heart out, write beautiful songs, but at the same time, add his pen and paper at home. He can write songs for ER, There's Something About Mary, Me, Myself, Irene. Anyway, it is our honor to bring up Mr. Chris Trapper to the stage. There you go. And there 
is this girl who reminds me of home Reading a book and laughing alone Living downtown Living downtown, yeah Hey, my look at me now the stage and writers take to the page and nothing is impossible nothing is impossible I say Cafes and taxi stands with people blowing away, living downtown. Living downtown. The stars on the avenue and rats in the trash, and an innocent tourist is stopping to ask me now. He's asking. Sunday night. It feels like a Thursday night. Much better than a Sunday night. So songwriting can come from all different places. Different things inspire songs. This next song was inspired by a front porch of a good friend of mine in Los Angeles, California. He's my bandmate, Dan McLaughlin. So he used to live in Los Angeles. And he had a great front porch, which would always be the after party. So we'd have a gig there in Hollywood to kick you out of the clubs at two in the morning. And so his house would still be cooking till about six in the morning. It's one of those great front porches that inspired a song. And there's a line in this song about a stumbling DJ. Because I think every party has one, there's one guy who late at night kind of becomes the guy who just goes and plays the music. He's a very valuable guy. Thank you. 
6.15, it's almost time to go out I cut myself shaving toothpaste on my mouth And isn't that the way we paint the town? I can't find a shirt, man, I need some new clothes Tuck in the stain and no one will know And isn't that the way we paint the town? Long enough to say we saw the sun Come on, the songs we sing will Soothe our suffering Stumbling DJ Play it one more time Yeah, yeah At 8 o'clock sharp You were gonna pick me up But your car broke down Now we need a tow truck isn't that the way we paint the town? At 10.45 you pick me up on your bike in a three-piece suit Everybody looks twice Isn't that the way we paint the town? Long enough to say we saw the sun Come on, the songs we sing will soothe our suffering Stumbling DJ playing one more time Yeah, yeah Everybody's crashed out You got nine on the floor Four more on the couch Isn't that the way we paint the town? Yeah, we're like two stray dogs Sitting on the front steps Sipping up the last drop of night that's left Isn't that the way we paint the town? Yeah Long enough To say we saw the sun Come on, the songs we sing will the suffering stumbling DJ play it one more time long enough to say we saw the sun come up the songs we sing will soothe the suffering Chris, thanks for sitting here with us. Thanks for having me. Um, we're like in a living room right now. This we're, is awesome. I appreciate you having me here. Listening to you live, I hear your voice in the earbuds in my car. I haven't seen you live. You didn't think I was real, did you? <laughs> no, I, I felt like yeah. I felt like I kind of knew you. Yeah. Well, we kind of did. We, we know similar people, same lots of friends in common. So I think that's a nice cue to talk about Shimshack. Yeah, let's talk about <laughs> it. All right, so Mike right. Shimshack. I think there's only one person in the room that knows him personally, and that's Eric over there. <laughs> When we started this podcast a couple years ago, I talked to my buddy who's a producer, great writer, guy down in Nashville. I grew up with him in, in Rochester, New York. And I called Mike and we're talking. He's like, okay, you have to have a guy, Chris Trapper. 
and we kept in touch for a year or so, and you were traveling and doing your thing, and finally we got together. So thank you, Mike Shimshak, wherever you are. Yeah, thanks, Mike, out there on podcast land. Mike was in, in a band called Johnny Vegas, which was based in upstate New York, and it was one of the first bands who ever offered my band an opening slot. So we went to Syracuse, New York, Utica, New York. And this band, for some reason, had a very loyal following, in a yeah. big following. So they, so they would fill clubs with no record deal behind them. So they, they became a really good impetus. We were the first idea that you didn't necessarily need you know, record label or industry backing. You know, things were literally more about fans, fan to fan. They're very good at building a culture around the, yeah. their band. So it's a great learning experience touring with them. So we only did, did, did maybe five or six shows with them, but I just remember that it was very, very eye-opening eye that you just have this great following with no help whatsoever. Grassroots. Yeah. You have an awesome blog on oh, your thank website. You. Thank you. And it's really great. If you haven't gone to, to his website, every month or so you, you put something in there, and you've got some great stories. But one of the recurring themes, there's a couple of recurring themes. I'm going to touch on the first one, which is that you felt that the push stars, your fan base was grown or- organically. Yeah. And, and you, you, you just commented on that. It wasn't about the record sales or anything like that. You grew, it was grassroots. 96. 96. 96. Is that, is that still Anybody going on? Anybody here around in 96? <laughs> you guys? No. All right, go ahead. You guys weren't. I wasn't. Yeah. What, around here? Around at all. Around? It was 22 yes. years ago. Uh, some of us were around. Yeah. I kind of yeah. credit 1998. Yeah. Is the year that we started because that's it's the first year that we toured nationally, and that was the year that I got to quit my day job, which is a very very monumental experience. Right. Because when you leave that that day job, it, it feels so liberating. Like like wow, I'm playing music for for a job, and I signed a record deal with Capitol. I signed a publishing deal. I had all this stuff happen basically within a year's time. But in the back of my mind, I always knew that that grassroots and fan to fan, you know, contact and interaction would be the most important thing throughout the the whole career so it's like a crescendo <laughs> where you know you start with the grassroots and you expand and it, it feeds on its own like a fire rather than this big boom that yeah you have some big stars that can do this and it's more of an up and down you swear because when i first w- went solo which was in 2006 we had done a band thing for about nine years he's a full-time job mm-hmm. so we had about two cities where we did very very well and where we were like just where the band did well we became household names in those cities There'd be 10 cities in between that nobody knew us in. So our career was so topsy-turvy and unpredictable. We'd go from playing for like 600 people to 50 people to 10 people to 800 people. And so you're from feeling like a rock star to then feeling very, very deflated and very, very kind of shot down. So I started thinking of the music business almost as like the stock market. You stay in it, ride out these waves. So when I went solo... In 2006, it was a very, very scary moment because I didn't know if I'd be bookable at all because the three or four cities I knew I'd be bookable, but all the places in between. But what, what turned out was that your band was a favorite amongst the industry. So a lot of, a lot of bookers and booking agents, promoters, they loved us. So people Push book, stars. Yeah, so people booked me yeah. in cities even though I had no audience at all Right. in 2006. So I've been going back and back again and again and again. You're proving yourself every time. Yeah. It's a resume every night. There yeah. was a point in Boston when I first started where, where if I could get one gig in Boston 
I'd be so excited. Yeah. I'd be like, this is so amazing. I just booked a gig at the Common Ground or, or the TAM or O'Brien's. You know, I just finished a 55-city tour yeah. where I was bookable in every one of those cities. It just still blows my mind that I can do that. You're like a mutual fund, I think. Very similar. You just stick with because it. Because I'm not Stay a financial guy at all. If anybody knows me personally, I don't know what I'm doing at all. But... <laughs> You're like that kind of, instead of the ups and downs, you've been sort of growing over time. Over time, yeah. And you love it, which is the key thing. I love it. I love hotels. I love meeting people. I love new cities. I love exploring where the best cup of coffee is in each town. I love, I love finding the best donut shop, which my kids enjoy. That, that, that also want to bring donuts back from Columbus, Ohio. Can we break a moment? Okay. I don't want to put you on the spot too much, but you've got to tell me your favorite donut you've ever had from your dad. <laughs> You, you think about it. You, you don't have to do that. Maple bacon. Maple bacon. Salt. Maple bacon. Our apologies to any vegetarians. Yeah. Um, I feel bad. <laughs> but, you know, speaking of food, we were just down in the depths of City Winery. And we took some pictures down there because, you know, Chuck, myself, and Chris all worked in restaurants in the 90s. Okay? We all did dishes. 80s. Did, right. 80s for Chuck. Did you wear a hairnet, or was that possible for Shut you? Shut up. Okay. So we wore hairnets, I think, and we didn't know it. We were sort of hairnet brothers. Yeah. You mentioned going back to music, and I read something about you that was really touched me. This was a different job. You worked hard in a restaurant for a while in Copley, right? Yeah. Copley Plaza Hotel. Copley Plaza Hotel, yeah. I did my research. Someone told you something like, are you songwriting right now? Yeah. You Who was the, that? You spent the fifth year I was working there. I came to Boston... I formed a band in college. And so we were one of the top, top two bands on my college campus of two bands. So we were the top, <laughs> top two bands. So we got very, very confident. So we got very, very cocky. And so we said, let's move to Boston because at that time, there were bands like, like Heretics and Tribe being signed. A great Boston band from like 1991. So my band mates and I, this is a different band, not the Push Stars, but we yeah. dropped out of college, moved to Boston on just a whim and a dream. You just remember that the Boston Phoenix, the local arts page, used to have the Boston Band Guide. Phoenix, I remember that. First time I picked, yeah, back in the old days of print media. And uh, so, so I remember picking it up. The cover of the Boston Band Guide said over 3,000 bands. And so my band at that time got very intimidated by it. So we broke up within about a year and a half, maybe. So I found myself stranded in Boston, and there was a woman in City Hall who worked in City Hall. We were trying to find some, some permit for a rehearsal space or, or something. And so she said, does anybody want to work at a hotel? So I said, yeah, I would. I, you know, I'm not a graduate from college. So I started working at the Copley Plaza Hotel, and it became a really good job. I was like, wow, I'm making good money. I can pay my roommates rent because they could never come up with it. So I'd be like, I got that for you. I could sense that in your songs. Yeah, you could sense yeah. that, yeah. I had a health care plan and a dental plan. And I was doing very, very well for even my age group. I was just a purchaser there. After five years, I had this very, very stopping thought where I said, is this going to be it? Is this my whole life? Is, is it mapped out for me? Which I think everybody goes through at some point. You're dissatisfied. You're just not living. Your, you've got an ultimate passion. I started thinking, is this it? And so my dad called me the same day that I had this thought. He said, Christopher, are you still writing songs? He called me randomly from time to time. And I said, yeah, I write about one new song every couple of days. Even though at that time I had no band, I had no gigs, I had no purpose for writing songs. It was a very natural thing for me. So he said, why don't you walk out of your job, quit it, and try and make a living off your songs. So I said, Dad, you been drinking by any chance? <laughs> 
And he said, no, not yet, but later. <laughs> later for sure. He was waiting for your answer. So I did. I walked out of my job that day. I didn't have many gigs. I was like an open mic feature act occasionally. So my bank account, after about six months, one numerical column kind of fell, dropped, and just drifted away and was gone. And I totally panicked. I was like, ay, ay, ay. But another eight months passed. The next numerical column kind of dropped and drifted away. It was gone forever. These are decimals? Decimals, yeah. 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 I'm following. Okay. Yeah. So right about then, I got, the, I got the song in Something About Mary, which you mentioned earlier. And just suddenly I made money for a song, which I couldn't believe. I'd never been paid for any song before in my entire life. You know, just remember when that check came, I thought there, there was a typo. As it can't be this much for writing a song on my bed. It doesn't seem, it doesn't seem possible. But it was. So eventually I signed a publishing deal and I was, I was able to buy my parents a house wow. to repay them for having given faith in me. Did your roommates ever pay you back for their rent? Of course not. No, no. They bought oh. tickets to, to a couple of shows over the years. Right, so so I, I equate that as a little, little payback. Although a house in Buffalo, not to brag, a house you, in Buffalo costs the same as a car. So it's, <laughs> yeah. it's not a big deal. But it was my Elvis moment, though. It said, Mom and Dad, I bought you this house. Yeah. That transition from writing for a band, writing for yourself, to having someone say to you, I have a story, and I need you to write a song that reflects this story. As a songwriter, I mean, I write songs. Ron will tell you how good they are. Maybe some of them will. But it's not, easy. it's not an easy thing to do. Never mind having someone give you instructions of what they need from you. I mean, how do you approach a song like that when they're giving you the parameters? Or yeah. do they kind of leave you some leeway in that? That's a great question because um, it's one of the things that, that I had to learn when I was starting out. The first time somebody sent me a script, I kind of had to think, well, if I have to play this song every night on tour, say the film does well, the show's a hit, I need to, you're going to be able to play the song every single night, you not feel embarrassed about it. So you can't write a beer commercial. It has to be somewhat credible and somewhat, so for instance, I wrote a song for, for a film called August Rush a few years back. August so, Rush. Thank you. Cool movie. So they sent me th that script. So they basically pitched it like this. They said, Chris, we sent it to a couple heavy hitters. We sent it to Elton John, you know, Babyface. They both submitted songs. They didn't get it. Here's a script. You have no chance. Best of luck. Write a song for it. So as I was reading the script, the character I was writing the, that particular song for, he was going through a midlife crisis, which I think I kind of was too. So he sang for a band, and that band had just broken up. My band kind of just broke up. Let, let, let we stopped playing. So I could relate to that, that character totally. So I tried to pour myself into the character. So what happened was I sent the song in, he's thinking that, whatever, it's a long shot. Then immediately I got calls from Warner Brothers, the director, the producers. You know, they the writers, loved it. Yeah, they said, you nailed it. You got an actual phone call. It was 2008, so it was of real yeah. phones. Real you, phones. You still did yeah. get a call? In fact, when my son Sammy was born, Phil Ramone is a famous producer. Yeah, heard of him. He called me in the hospital to say he loved the song so much. So that was a very, very, very great moment. Uh, <laughs> I don't know if I've never heard of a better omen. That's yeah. cool. Yeah. So when I took that call, he said, "Is this a prank call by?" And said, this is not Phil Ramone. It's not possible. But uh, but I had another. He had a theme song for a WB show a few years back. Rebecca Romaine starred. You know, so I had the theme song for a year, like full season. And so that's maybe the closest that, that I ever came to to really having a tough time because I wanted to, to really write a happy pop romantic song. 
eventually I got there, but but it was such a happy romantic show mm -hmm. that was very much definitely a challenge for me. <laughs> Being happy romantic? Yeah. I prefer the sad songs. Usually, <laughs> it's so. easier that way. Yeah. So I heard a song the other day. I've heard a lot of great tunes from the Push Star days and Chris. There's such emotion. You have a way of making a hook that's not contrived. And I don't know if a lot of people do that. And I, I called you a songwriter, a songwriter, because it's fun to say. But it's also true because you have the ability to have something in someone's head, an ear, not necessarily an earworm, mm -hmm. like a, a jingle or something. Yeah, yeah. But you also have the ability to stand the test of time. And the other point I want to make is that I know that you write for TV, you know, Malcolm in the Middle, ER, and mm -hmm. I can hear the song. George Clooney's final episode was my song playing in the background when he crashed his car. Are you serious? Yeah, yeah. It was his last episode. Wow, that's going to get a lot of YouTube hits He died tonight. in my song. It's a very weird... George Clooney weird died thing. during Chris Trapper's song. That's right. I think that... The emotion that I hear from your song, I actually see a scene in a movie or a great ending of like parenthood or a great quality drama that resonates in the heart. Glenn Hansard, a brilliant songwriter. Brilliant, you yeah. know, um, what's the movie that Once that Once, those guys yeah. did? Once. Yeah. What I'm trying to say is that you can be live, you can be present, you can hear your music, but at the same time, I can hear the music connected to the art of the film which is something I do with other musicians sometimes. I think about it. I there's no question here. Oh, there's no question. It's just a comment. But do you think about that? No, I've always written songs the same exact way, which just became very therapeutic for me. I stuttered very, very badly back in high school, in junior high. So I would leave high school in junior high. And so my sister had a guitar that she never touched. She basically sat in the corner of her room. And she said, Chris, why don't you... You take it. You, you want to play it a little more than I do, so you can have it. It was a harmony guitar made by Sears, worth about 80 bucks. The action was so high off the strings that I had calluses in eighth grade that looked like I was a coal miner. So I started writing songs. Basically, I'd get picked on in school. I'd go home and grab my guitar, you know, just write a song. So I had a very, very therapeutic response to it, which felt like all this weight that had been on my shoulders, you just lifted off and was gone through the songwriting process. That process has never changed. I still write the same way. It's, even if it's, it's a script or a commission thing, it's been a very, very natural process for me, always. So, Again, reading your blog, it was really kind of eye-opening. Usually, I, you know, I, I tried to read, read the wiki, I listened to the music, and I ended up reading mostly all the stories that you wrote in your blog. Yeah. And you did a tour recently with Colin Hay. Yeah. And he's one of those guys. Colin Hay is the lead singer of Men at Work. Yeah. Anybody so, hear Men at Work? Yeah. So it's, it's one of those things where you hear Colin Hay play separately by him, a, a, as a solo artist, and you're like, I know that voice. I had no idea he was this good when he, when he first started playing solo. No, I like him better than Men at Work. I mean, Me too. I mean, the guy's, the guy's amazing, okay? So you got to open, you got to open for him. Yeah. You toured with him. He's been to my house a bunch of times. You've also played with Martin Sexton. Yeah. I mean, you've, you've played with some amazing artists. Yeah, Matchbox totally. 20. Yeah. Right? Matchbox 20, right. John Prine. Right. John yeah. Prine. Chris Isaac. The word that keeps on coming up, in, not only in the blog, but in some of the interviews I heard, was gratitude. Yeah. You're in a profession where everybody and their mother wants to be a musician, and they're out there, and they're hustling, and they're waitering, and they're doing whatever they need to do to try and make ends meet. I mean, certainly you're a very blessed guy. You have a beautiful family. You are, you're making a living at what you do, 
and you're making great music. So it's refreshing to see someone come out and say, you know, it's it's really just about it's about gratitude. That's what it comes down to, and that's something that you've run into when you've done those yeah. house concerts yeah. that you've yeah. been doing recently. Yeah. I really like that word, using that word, and I thought it was gratitude. It's funny because like you, since I started, I've had the same fear every single year that. You know, I can't do this full time. I'm gonna need to have some kind of backup. I need to learn to brew good coffee or, or something. I need to be a barista or something. Then a couple years ago, I finally had the thought that I've had this same fear for 16 years. I think I can let it go now. <laughs> you should look at my tour schedule and I was like, I'm book solid for, for the next year. You built that totally. crescendo Yeah. I over mean, time. You put in the time. And it's not just that. It is the music. It's the recipe of the real quality of songwriting with presenting yourself plus the drive. But I still get, if ever I get paid to sing, like after a gig, somebody hands me a check or or an envelope filled with cash, I still cannot believe it. I'm I'm like, I I can't believe I'm being paid to sing. It doesn't seem real to me because my family, like my dad was very much a working working class guy. And he had six kids, so he never got, got to live his dreams, but his dream was raising kids. So I think that's why he was so encouraging to my thing, which is he felt like he never got to live his dreams, aside from having kids. It just still baffles me whenever I get, get paid. I'm just like, that's for singing and playing guitar and writing songs. And, and just in terms of gratitude, like I always feel funny if ever I see an artist who like, like complains about the, their tour schedule. You know, I know a few, a few artists who don't like dealing with fans or meeting fans. And I'm like, they feed you. They feed your kids. They pay your mortgage. You have to appreciate them. So for me, gratitude is number one. We want to hear you play. That's okay. what we want to do. All right. Um, Before that, we have... We want to hear from you guys, too. Yes, uh, that's right. Thank you. So we do have some Q&A. We'd like to hear some questions from the audience. We're going to walk around like... We're going to walk around to Phil Donahue, and you can ask... Chris, some, some questions. That's just dated yourself, just, just to let you know. I said it, you knew who I was talking about. Ask any millennial, they won't. Anyway, can we get a little bit of the lights, Mike? Chris, thank you. Thank you also. I appreciate it, thank you. We're gonna do, we're gonna do a couple of minutes of questions. So we, we'd love to hear from you guys. You'll feel weird asking me anything because I played a show in Scotland, which was also a Q&A, get a college, so, so when they said, you know, ask a question, does anybody have a question? Nobody raised the, their hands. So I said, you feel free to ask anything. There's no boundaries here. So some, some kid raised his hand and he said, is that your real hair color? <laughs> so I thought that was a very good question. So you feel free to ask me anything. Hi there, my name is Jimmy Dwyer from uh, Maynard, Massachusetts. My wife and I are going to Scotland in uh, November. Very nice. Very nice. So we're wondering, and we're, my wife is a professional donut photographer so where do we go for donuts in scotland <laughs> that's a great question um should we ask sam you what scotland the only donut that, that i ever saw was at a bar late at night and it was in the form of scotch or whiskey because it was a very rushed you know rushed trip so we didn't wake up in time to see a donut shop so that was my experience in, in, in scotland Unfortunately, but I can ask people and find out and get back to you. Hi, my name is Jennifer. I'm from Carlisle, Massachusetts. Hi, and Jennifer. I'm interested to know if you hear the melody of a song first or if it's the words or is it the chord progressions or all of it. So I was saying to Ronnie before, uh, since I started out, I used to carry a mini cassette recorder around with me 
to parties and anywhere. So if a melody came to me, you could sing it into this mini cassette. Now it's my iPhone. But it would sing little melodies. So if ever I could just think of something, you spontaneously started humming something. Lots of my friends thought I was insane or mentally disturbed because I would, I would duck in an elevator in the corner and be like, <laughs> after about six months passed, I would go listen back to all those little melodies. You know, if something stuck out to me as being particularly interesting, I would try and write a song to it. So that's initially how I started. So I still do that same thing. So if anybody ever found my iPhone, you just went through the videos where I'm singing little melodies in the hotel room where it's just me in a bed singing. You definitely look like I have personal problems, but uh, <laughs> that's basically how I've done it for a long time. So melody first, because I think that that's, that's always a signature. You have a song, and then lyrics are the most, your most important thing because I think that's, that's your legacy. That's what, that's what people remember about you. So... Hello, my name is Laura Poisson. I'm living in Acton. And like we're, neighbors, we're neighbors with this guy, actually. All right, so I was curious to know the name of the song that you wrote for August Rush. It's called This Time, and I'll be playing it in like 18 minutes. That was my second question. Thanks so much. Yeah, of course. Hi, my name is Jill from Philly. Um, All right. So my question is for the aspiring songwriters um, in the room. What advice you would give them, given it's harder to make a living in the music industry with Spotify and iTunes, and it's just harder. What advice would you give a, a sp aspiring songwriter? It's funny because I, the business has it's changed so much since I started. It's now you can literally, you literally have your entire record co collection on your phone, you can distribute one song internationally out of your back pocket. It was unbelievable changes that, that have happened. But what hasn't happened is the content of a song. It's like no computer can, can write a song. They've listened to, to pop radio nowadays. There's very, very few real instruments. There's always a program drum, you know, drum set, you program the keyboard sound. But a computer cannot write a song. It can't. You should think the content the most important thing. My thing has always been to try and write songs that just move me or move other people and then try and monetize them after that. So consequently, I just, we have a new band record done now, Push Stars record that we cut last summer in Memphis. And so I don't really know what to do with it yet, but the content is all there and I'm very proud of it. And so I think that's the best way to go about it. Just not think of the business end until the content feels right to you. Because the business is always shifting and changing. For me, it's been very, very much about one fan at a time. So it's a hand-to-hand -hand thing, heart-to-heart. -heart. So if I meet one fan, I never, I never take them for granted. Because I always think that, that this fan, that they stay with me for, for 15 years or 30 years, that's not just a friend, but it's also economically advantageous to me over the years. You, they buy a ticket to my shows and they, they keep coming. It's, it's a good thing, so. Hi, Chris, my name is Lisa. Hi, everybody. Um, Hello. My question is, what is your favorite original song, that, and why? And do you think you have like a certain direction you're headed with future songs? Keg in My Coffin, I think, is my favorite song that I've ever written. Well, thank you both, I appreciate that. And uh, so, I think that as far as my goals of writing a song, you'd achieved a bunch of high points for me. You know, it's a very, very simple song. It has a very universal message. And, you know, I played it again and again and again, every night on tour for, for 150 dates a year, for the past 15 years, 
and I don't get sick of it. You think that it does reach people and it does connect. So as far as future songs, I don't really have a game plan for that. I try and always keep it as honest as I possibly can and as real as I possibly can. So I try and write things that, just think if I have to sing it night after night after night, I'm going to still believe in it and I'm going to feel it. So I don't want to write a gimmicky song. I don't want to pretend to be somebody else. I want to write something sincere that, that I think touches other people. So no, no real game plan. I mean, I always think that, that, that I guess my goal is to write beautiful music because I think that all the angry music, that territory is covered. Because a lot of people do that. As far as beautiful songs and loving songs and you know, lovely songs and romantic songs, that territory is not totally covered by Barry Manilow. So, so I think that, <laughs> so I, think that I, I still want to keep focusing on and writing beautiful music. That, that's my goal always. Awesome. Uh, we got one more question, and it's, it's from my mom. <laughs> oh, pressure's on. It better be a good answer then. Hi. I was wondering if when you sing, if you could do a combination of all the songs from all the movies that you've done tonight. Like do a little montage scene of my songs? Yeah, could you do that? I, I would love that. That would be great. You might need that. You might be hard because a lot of them are you're in different keys and on different guitars too. So it might sound a little too complicated. I'm going to try that in my next show. So I'm going to try a whole... Whatever it's called. What That's is a that great called? idea. You do a bunch of songs and one. Th- what is that called again? Medley. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's Chris like- is going to set up. And we're going to chat a little bit while he's setting up. Okay. Thanks. Oh. You want to off the road? I you're going to become Mr. Mom. My kids are here. You see, my wife and kids are in the VIP Lincoln booth here to to the right. So whenever I'm off tour, I kind of become Mr. Mom. I try and you're trying to take over everything. And just remember in kindergarten, when you first drop your, your, your kids off at school, it's a very, very devastating moment. Because you just feel that you're letting your most prized possession go off with the general public. It's a very, very daunting thing. We just, just panic. Like, are they going to be okay? Are they safe? So you befriend all the other parents going through that, that same intense life experience. So you become friends with a lot of couples and other parents. And by year four or five, lots of those couples start to split up, in, in my experience. And uh, all the dads moved to the next town in Norwood. It's a little cheaper than our town. So there's one apartment complex in Norwood where all the dads moved to. So I drive by that apartment complex frequently, and I always think, I do not want to live in that apartment complex. Don't remind me Where I should be I am here and you're here too It's just the two of us And isn't that enough Just stay beside me Through the morning As the sun streams through the dust that turns to glitter sailing round the both of us Drove slow past the accident Too many cars up in smoke 
thought as I was passing it, you're my only hope. You're my only hope. Well, don't see me. With the blessing, if you knew half of the sins I've done, you'd probably never talk to me again. Just walk beside me through the thunder, because I fear what's coming around the corners more than one of us could take alone. Drove slow past the accident Too many cars up in smoke I thought as I was passing You're my only hope You're my only hope Cars up in smoke. I thought as I was passing it, you're my only hope. You're my only Thank you very much. Check out Chris Trapper and hear his solo work at ChrisTrapper.com. Also, stay tuned for an upcoming Push Stars album. You can keep up with them at ThePushStars.com. And thanks again to the fine people at City Winery Boston for partnering with us on these concert casts. Go to CityWinery.com forward slash Boston for more information. Be sure to hear the entire Chris Trapper performance on our concert cast in concert series episode. You can find those on AboveTheBasement.com where you can join us on Patreon, sign up for our newsletter, listen and subscribe to our podcast, like our Facebook page, follow us on Twitter and look at all the nice pictures we post on Instagram. We are everywhere. On behalf of Ronnie and myself, thanks for listening. Tell your friends and remember, Boston music, like its history, is unique. How would you like to join us in creating great conversations that inspire and connect? Patreon has a membership platform that provides a way for creators like us to build relationships and provide exclusive experiences to subscribers or patrons. We've been self-financed since we got off the ground in June of 2016, but in order to continue to fully invest all we can in each episode, we need your patronage. For more information, please go to patreon.com forward slash above the basement.